It is good to be here, brothers and sisters, and it's good to be with you. I want to encourage you to turn in your word, if you will, your copy of God's word to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 16, but focus mostly on verses 11 to 16. As you turn, I want to share something with you that I didn't share in Sunday school. There's a little bit of my story that I held back. Uh, I was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama. After my parents moved there, my dad was an electrical engineer working with the space program with NASA that came to Huntsville in the early 60s. But while I was born and raised there, I grew up hearing stories. One of my heroes in my childhood was my grandfather, who grew up outside of a small town in Mississippi, grew up very, very poor in the early 1900s, lost his dad at an early age, and so a family in the town nearby brought him and his siblings in, took them in, and gave them the education and opportunities that they would have never had otherwise. And I grew up hearing of my grandfather's sports exploits as he was a four-year letterman and all-county all-star playing under a coach, Bernard King, in a town called Brookhaven, Mississippi. This is where my family is originally from, and the county is around here. Uh, my, my grandfather uh, was educated here, like I said, played, played at Brookhaven. From there, went and spent much of his career running sawmills. If you basically draw a line from here to Port Gibson and the towns between, Hermanville, Bude, other places like that is where my grandfather spent his time. My mom grew up in Port Gibson, as my grandfather had located there by then, running a sawmill. But after she graduated Mississippi State, her first job was teaching English and history at Brookhaven High School. This would have been about 1961, 1962, obviously a long time ago. But when she found out I was coming here this Sunday, she wanted to come so bad. <laughs> She's now in a senior retirement home in Birmingham, but she sends her greetings back to what she considers her hometown. Now, I know sharing that is not enough to make me an insider here to make me one of you, but I hope that it will perhaps give me some credibility. Most of all, that the Word of God will give me the credibility for what I have the privilege and the responsibility to share with you of the beautiful and challenging Word of God. I love that as a church, you were walking together through the book of Ephesians. What a great book for our identity in Christ and how that identity is to, is to be changing us and drawing us closer to our Savior. And, and how our churches are to be different because of the gospel. How we are to be different because the gospel is true. I, I couldn't have picked a better book to, to come and connect with and to be able to, to bring to you. Or, or as a church planter coming to town, a better passage than the one that in God's providence I get to preach to you today. What I'm going to talk to you about today is not understood by the large majority of the modern church. If people understood this, they would not be church hoppers. They wouldn't get caught up in or waste so much time or cause so much damage with the petty issues that we fight and divide and struggle over in churches. They would be saying, where do I need to lean into this? 
Where can I come under this and be corrected by this? So I invite you, with, a, with the authority of a Savior who invites broken people to come to Him, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I invite you to come under this message of Scripture. The Word is inerrant. It is perfect. We are not. This is given by God Himself that we would be made complete. So listen, as I read to you Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16, this is the Word of God. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's Word. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You today for the Word that You have sent to Your church. And that Your Word goes not to perfect people, but to people who need a Savior. People like us who apart from you are lost and broken and your enemies, and yet your word brings us home. Lord, would you do that today? Lord, would you bring to us the hope that is found in the gospel in Jesus Christ himself? I pray that he would take over this time, that the messenger would absolutely disappear, and that your word, the word of Jesus, would be everything for us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. There are many hard things that I have to do as a pastor. Pastors walk with people to the emergency room, to the hospital room, to the marriage counseling room, and then often to the funeral home. But there's some great things we get to do too. And one of my favorite things as a pastor is to do weddings. I'm going to be doing one in just a couple of weeks with a kid who came up through our youth group. I love to do 
weddings, to, to stand with the, the bridegroom and to see the, the ceremony and to see everything that's unfolding. But when I do weddings, if you're ever at a wedding, happen to be at a wedding that I'm leading, when everybody stands, you know, there's that moment, the, the, the flower, thanks for walking down with the child while I'm doing this, that's a perfect illustration, when the child comes down and everybody's watching and, and there's that moment when the, you know, all the attendants are there, but then there's that moment when the, the music shifts and the doors in the back open and everybody stands and they turn to watch the bride. Everybody except me. At that moment, I'm not watching the bride. I'm watching him. Because I love, my favorite thing of it all is to watch his face when he sees her. This beautiful woman prepared to come and meet and be joined with him. I remember that moment 28 years ago at a church in Jackson, Mississippi, when this beautiful woman came to me. And I, and I love watching that in the faces of the grooms that I'm standing there with. Actually, sometimes it's good that I'm there. I had a guy one time who was so taken over in the moment that he started to run down the aisle. He was going to her. And I sort of grabbed him. I'm like, not yet, man, not yet. But you know what? There was something beautiful in that. The Word tells us that the, that the church is being prepared as a bride to meet her bridegroom. Jesus Himself said He is looking forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb when His bride will be ready. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who are in Christ, that is our destiny. We are to cause awe to all who watch as we meet our bridegroom. And the Bible says clearly that the, that the whole universe, that even angels themselves are going to watch in amazement, that they will look at us as Jesus meets His bride. And they will say how beautiful she is to Him. And here in this text, God is beginning that description. He's speaking of His design, His plan, his purpose for his bride. The chapter opens in verse 1. Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And that's exactly how we should think of ourselves as willing, joyful, redeemed prisoners. If, if, a, if an apostle can speak of himself that way, how much more should we run to that identity and to say, remember, we are the ones who are different. We are the ones who are being joined forever to Jesus Christ. We're to be, and in that, we're to be unified in, in all that we proclaim. In, in verse 5, it says that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I know that that verse has been so misused as, as an excuse for getting away from distinctives and to say that, that, that our beliefs don't matter. That's not what that verse is saying at all. Rather, what it's saying is that we are to always be examining our beliefs and our ministries and our priorities to make sure that they are about the one gospel alone. And, and then the, the, the passage goes on. In verse 6, the, the image switches. He begins to talk about the unity of being in one family together. i got to tell you, I have some dear brothers and sisters with whom I share no DNA. 
but we have the same Father. Sometimes when I'm together, we'll say, hey, there's my brother from a different mother. And, and, and wherever we go, we have that in common. But, but that also means that, that if we're in the same family, if we in the church are in the same family, then what does that say about how we talk about each other or how we treat each other? You know, I'm, I'm new here. This is my first time here. That gives me the privilege to step on toes without knowing anybody, okay? Is there someone here in the church that's in your family, brothers and sisters in Christ, but you just don't like them? Don't look around when I say that, okay? I see glances, you know? That's okay if you don't like them. You don't have to like them. Guess what? You have to love them. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in, in verses 7 and 8, he, he begins to talk about how Jesus has assembled this ragtag, motley family together like a father coming back from a trip. And, he, and now the father is giving them gifts of grace. Follow the flow. Christ has descended and He's conquered sin and He's brought the church together. And now He's giving gifts as He's calling them to minister. He's calling us to be part of His victory train. Pushing back the effects of the fall. Pushing back the brokenness. And giving gifts of the Gospel to those around us. The Sovereign Lord has triumphed. And now He wants to use us to carry out the effects. And so He begins to speak in verses 11 to 16, about the design and the vision that he has for his church to be who he wants her to be. And he focuses here in, in this, these verses that I want to draw in close on today. He focus, focuses first on four offices that Christ gives to the church designed by her for, for her ministry. Look at verse 11. He says, He gave the apostles and the prophets the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now, you know also that those verses have, have, have themselves been the center of much controversy. But it shouldn't be. Earlier in Ephesians, I love that you've been working through this whole book. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul has already said that the apostles and, and the prophets, this is back in chapter 2, were given as the foundation for the church. Any builders here? Any construction people? Once you've laid the foundation, you don't keep building a new foundation. The foundation is there and it is solid and it's good. The apostles were the twelve. And then with Paul, the last of the apostles, those to whom Christ was directly revealed. And the prophets were those who preached in the Old Testament, preaching Christ before He'd come, foretelling the Word of God and promising Jesus Christ. And they were given together, apostles and prophets given to the church for her foundation to get her established. And with that established, the offices ceased. But now there's a second group given to every generation from then until now for the growing of the church. He mentions the evangelists that's my calling now, to be the uh, obstetricians of the church. I don't know if there's any OBGYN guys here or not, but there's the obstetricians who give birth, 
who bring about the birthing of the the church, the birthing of new believers into the church. That's exactly what we hope and are praying to go do in Ocean Springs. I am praying for a day seven years from now, eight years from now, ten years from now, when I will stand and look at a church that is full of people who right now are lost and do not know Jesus as their Savior. I'm praying for God to bring Ocean Springs into the church. And, and, then, and, and then as that happens, we're, we're the ones, notice it goes on and it links it, that, that not only are we giving birth to the church, but we're equipping the church to, to build bridges into the world, to love the lost, to help them and to, to show the lost that they are heard and understood and loved and that there is hope hope in the gospel and then paul speaks of pastor teachers these are the pediatricians of the church if you will the ones who are to take the church from infancy and bring it to adulthood and and really it's best to take those terms as one pastor teacher the greek suggests that the early church fathers translated it as such the pastor teacher literally the shepherd of the church a touch here a word there a gentle prod when needed to to lead the church to its best it also the word also suggests protection of the flock a willingness to fight and protect her if necessary but there's one thing that characterizes all four of these offices the teaching of the word of god that is what is most important a true Christ-like church will crave and pursue the whole counsel of God. A godly biblical church will not have as its core identity rituals and liturgies or even, or even miracle working at the center. The center will be the preaching of the Word of God. And a true biblical Christ-like minister must be committed to preach the whole counsel of God. Whatever and wherever textual expository preaching have fallen into disfavor in the history of the church, the church has withered into lifelessness and irrelevance in the culture because the Word is not preached. But when the church has been marked by biblical preaching, then revival and reformation have spread Again, I don't know you yet. I want to get to know you as a friend. But I hope that you will come to this church for a lot of different reasons and for a lot of different ministries. And I hope there will be things here that will connect with your point of brokenness and need. But most of all, I hope you will come because you want and need to be under the Word of God, to be fed and equipped by what only God can bring. Listen well. Take notes. Be put under the work and the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word. Too many churches don't take this seriously. And so we have congregations full of Christianettes who are nibbling at sermonettes. Note again, look at at verse 12. These these Word-based offices are given to equip the saints for the work of of ministry for building up the body the word there for equipping it's it's the word in the original for really for fixing something that's broken 
<coughs> it's the same word that you see in Matthew 4 where Jesus comes and He finds the disciples mending their nets, equipping their nets for use. It's also the word that's given for, for the supplying of something that's lacking in faith and in obedience. The Word of God is inerrant and breathed out by God and given for the equipping of the church, Paul says to Timothy. It's the same word. And so the point of these verses, verses 1 to 12, is that Christ not only gives varied gifts to the church, but He also gives leaders to the church whose job is to repair what is broken. The purpose and the end that you would see yourselves as ministers. The leaders are to equip you to be ministers. Church, this is the biblical vision and doctrine that God has for His church. And it is radically different than what most Southern Christians expect. You want to know my vision for what we're going to do in Ocean Springs? This is it. This is this is, I didn't create this. It's not mine. I didn't make it up. He did. But seriously, when, when Chad said, hey, I want you, we're working through Ephesians, and I want you to preach Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, I was like, you've got to be kidding. There's nothing better. This is it. It's what the team and I will work together on the coast in the Lord to accomplish to build the church of Jesus Christ up for works of ministry. That itself is a different vision. The church, can I say this to you? The church is not a restaurant where you just come in and sit at the table and, and have your look over the menu and decide what you want, and the pastor is just a, a glorified waiter ready to bring you whatever you think you need. And if you like the service enough, you'll give tips, and if you don't, you won't, and you'll tell everybody else about it. The church is the body of Christ. His hands, His feet, His bride. Evangelists and pastors are, are given to equip God's people, to equip the bride to be beautiful in her works of ministry. And our job as leaders is not to do everybody's job. For my church at least, if you want things to not be done well, get me doing everything. I'm lousy at it. Our job is to feed the people. And equip the people so that you can do what God is calling you to do. What I want to ask you this morning is, are you willing? Are you willing to do it? To, to step up in what God is calling you to do through this text? To look around and ask, where has God gifted me? Where, where are the fields white unto harvest? How can I be part of something that is larger than myself? See, the beauty of being a Christian is that God saves you individually. Jesus died for you on the cross. And then He died to make you part of, of a story that is for eternity. That is larger than you can comprehend. It's the story of God's design for the church from the very beginning. I want to take a minute here and, and just very quickly leave Ephesians, but I want to just sort of summarize. Can, can I summarize in, in about three minutes all of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation? No, I can't, but let me try, okay? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Keep your finger here in Ephesians. We'll come back. 
But, but in Genesis chapter 3, that, that horrible story of the, of the fall into sin. But listen to the hope that comes in verse 15. After the man and the woman have fallen, have turned their back on God, God says to the, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what we have there is the beginning of the great story. The promise of the gospel. God gives this incredible promise that he's going to fulfill. And really the rest of the story from scripture is the story of God accomplishing what he promised to do. So then Matthew, in Matthew 16, Jesus comes on the scene. In Matthew 16 is where we see him say to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and they all give different answers. And then Peter stands. Peter, who's always the one who's not afraid to speak. And, and Peter stands and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. But that wasn't given to you from yourself. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, the rock of this confession is what he's saying. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says, in fulfilling God's promise, he says he will build his church. That's purpose talk. That's intentionality. Jesus has declared it, and He will do it. Well, how's He going to do it? Look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19. You know this is what we call the Great Commission. Let me pick up actually in verse 18. Jesus came and said to this huddled group of scared disciples, He says, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, G so God has said He's going to save humanity. He's going to bring rebellious humanity back to Himself. Jesus says that with Him as the Savior, He will build His church. And now he says to his disciples, as you go doing this, my presence and my power are with you. Matthew 16, he declares what he's going to do. Matthew 28, he says how he's going to do it. And now turn back to Ephesians, but to Ephesians 1, where we're drawing closer. In Ephesians 1, you've already heard this if you've been through this series. But in Ephesians 1, verse 18, Paul is in the middle of a prayer. He's, he's saying what he's praying for the church about. And he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now listen to this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It all connects. It's all one story. All things have been put under Jesus' feet. And Jesus was given as the head over all. See what it says? To the church. What is your view of the church, my friends? Is the church just the country club where you go and relax? Is it the retreat where you get away from the big scary world and just wall yourselves in with people who are nice? Is it a cruise ship? where you can go and put your feet up and and call for somebody to bring you what you need? Or is the church a battleship? With everyone having a battle station, with work to be done to advance on the very gates of hell to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you see the church as having been given to Jesus for accomplishing His purpose? Jesus said the church is His agent that He's going to use to accomplish what He is going to do. He said, I will build My church. And He does it through people who are coming alive to their forgiveness and their identity as new creations in Jesus Christ. Becoming useful people. Gifted people. Each part of His kingdom taking their role forward for the completion of the Great Commission and the completion of the kingdom. And the end result is the glory of God's design. Look again at Ephesians 4, picking up with verse 12 that we started a minute ago. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. Maturity is the goal of the biblical church, as maturity of a child should be the goal of any parent. We're not to be content until every person and every ministry is mature in Christ. Where people need to be warned, we warn them. Where they need to be taught, we teach them. We do not rest until every man and woman and child is complete in Christ. Not, he goes on to say, not blown about, not susceptible to the latest ideas or fads or drive-by teaching that they heard in a podcast or on YouTube. Not just being, coming to the latest thing. Uh, Chad mentioned I have four kids. They are 21 and 19 now. But when we had four kids, you hear that that's a very tight cluster. When we had four young kids, I hated going into the ice cream shop with them. You know Why? You ever stand in an ice cream shop with a kid? I want that one. No, I want that one. No, I want that one. I want all of them. And, 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 it's, it, and to sit there and try to... to they're, they're just sort of blown around by the latest thing that they see or hear. And it's so common in the church today. I say this in love. But as people bounce from one flavor or fad to another as they're easily influenced by the latest book or movement or video. It's the way of the immature believer, fickle, unstable, demanding what they want. The mature body, the bride, the family is steady, focused on Christ, on knowing Him and loving Him better, that she, that the bride might grow up and be who He wants her to be, 
until we all reach maturity of faith. The mature church pursues discipleship in all of its people. And, and the purpose of that ministry, verse 13 says, it's the fullness of Christ. If you've been here for this series, I'll guarantee you've heard that phrase over and over in Ephesians. It's the power of Christ flooding the nations, coming to the world, filling the world with His glory as the waters cover the sea. That the whole world will come to know the Gospel. Starting with Brookhaven and going to Ocean Springs and reaching far beyond. So church, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, don't shy away from hard things. Be tenaciously involved in one another's lives. Always saturated in the motivation of love that seeks what is best for the body. Literally, verse, verse 15, the phrase there is literally truthing in love. Not only speaking the truth, but doing it. And as our lives become married to love and the Holy Spirit is free to do His work, the result will be wonderful. In all things, verse 15 says, in all things our ministry is to be filled, to be filling up for the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I say this? Again, I have the privilege as, as, as one who wants to come and be a friend, but, I, but I'm still a stranger so I can speak this. We are not here for what we get. The point of this morning is not what you take out of it. We are here for His glory. Francis Chan was at the back of the, I don't know here, some, you know, sometimes pastors stand at the back so that people can't squeak out without us at least seeing them or something like that. And Francis Chan was at the back of his church and a man walked up and said, Pastor, I did not enjoy today's worship service. And his answer was, well, that's okay because we weren't worshiping you. Who are you here for? Is it for Jesus? And for loving His church, that's what matters. All of our purposes and our preferences are to be submitted to the glory of Christ. In fact, look, look at how in verse 16, the last verse, it comes in wonderful full circle. <coughs> From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look, I'm not a grammar teacher, but what's the subject of that sentence? The whole body. What's the verb? What does the body do? The verb is actually way down in the sentence. There's all this other stuff in the meantime. Everything else in that verse is just explaining the means and the process of how. But the basic sentence is that the whole body causes the growth of the body. According to the working of each individual part, the whole body with each part properly functioning causes the growth of the whole body. You matter and your role matters in the church. Growing toward Christ, growing up in Christ, that is the goal. And notice something else just before at the, at the end of verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. 
From Him comes what is needed for growth. He is the source and the strength of it all. He is the point of it all. Can I say something scary to you this morning? It is easy for a church to do God's work without God. It is easy to do God's work without God. The simple truth is we can put on a pretty good show, a comfortable one, but it will not last. If we are not unfailingly tied to the head, if we're not equipped with the resources that only Christ can give, here we are told that we are to be dependent on Jesus Christ. Whatever we do, however we ministry, minister, our, our instinct must first be We've got to get on our knees for this. We've got to seek Jesus for this. When I, it's why I pray before a sermon, Lord, get me out of the way. Make it about You. It's why you should pray in all that you do. Before you do or say anything, be desperate for your bridegroom. Seeing more and more of His great love in your life. Choosing you. Calling you. Loving you. And as that happens in view of His mercy, then you will see biblical church growth. You won't be a mile wide and an inch deep. Nor will the church be ingrown, disconnected from the heart of the Father for His harvest field. Each person will be growing up in maturity in Christ so that we will learn to love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves His bride And He loves the lost that He's bringing to be part of His bride. And He will be glorified in us as He accomplishes His design through us. Have you ever been behind the scenes on a wedding day? There is probably no more crazy place in the south than the the bridal room and the preparation room behind the scenes of a wedding day. Bridesmaids running everywhere and hair being done and photographers and coordinators and everybody reaching for the same things and everybody trying to prepare. And it can be very hectic and very chaotic along the way. Ah, but that moment when the end result is a loving, godly woman coming and being presented and joined to a lucky godly man when they join together in their vows before christ and the end result is a beautiful thing like the bride walking to her bridegroom with everyone watching and brothers and sisters we are meant to be witnesses to a watching world it's one of the greatest things that you and i will ever have to be a privilege of the privilege to be a part of. People go, they they go to the football games, Ole Miss and State and Alabama. I know I'm not supposed to mention that team here, but that they go and they get all excited and none of that will last for eternity. But in the church, we get to be part of something that will outlive the universe itself. And I realize in a crowd this size, there there are some here for whom the images I'm using this morning are probably painful, and I don't want to be insensitive. But for all of us, no matter your marital status on this earth, we have this calling, this identity, this beauty, 
This is exactly what is meant to happen here in this church. What you are supposed to be about at First Presbyterian Church. It is what we're going to be about at Hope Presbyterian in Ocean Springs. It's what it means to be part of Jesus' church. We are here as a body, as a family, as the bride of Jesus Christ. We exist for His glory in each other and to make Him known to a world that needs the Gospel. By His grace at work within us, we can be a part of changing eternity itself. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for these brothers and sisters, for the time together. I pray that this would be the beginning of an ongoing relationship. Most of all, I thank you for your word. Your word that speaks of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Your word that speaks of how Jesus Christ is going to build his church. He is building his church. And he is making all things new. And he is preparing her. This book is going to go on to say, preparing her to be that bride, beautiful, washed and ready, spotless, ready for her bridegroom. Lord, we're not there yet. Would you give us your grace to love you well and know you well and make you known to those around us in Brookhaven and Ocean Springs and to the very ends of the earth. It's to your glory we pray this. Amen.